All right, well, you can go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 2, and I'm going to pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this morning. Thank you for the time we get to be together. Thank you for those that are here and those that are watching online. I pray that you would teach us from your word and that you would keep us in your truth and that you'd keep us from stumbling. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last week we looked at um, Paul's apostleship and message explained. And the title today is Paul's apostleship and message confirmed. So he explained it last week. He's confirming it this week. We've seen how he explains how he got converted, how he was called, how he received the gospel. And in today's message, we're going to look at how these things were confirmed when he met up with the other apostles. And it is a history lesson. So we're looking at a lot of history. We might even flip to Acts a little bit. Uh, There's going to be some application as well along the way, but it is a history lesson in a sense today. And we're going to start by just going through all the verses. We'll read them, then we'll look at them one by one. Um, So let's start in verse 1, and we're going to read Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, while I silence my phone, which should be silenced already. All right, anyway, it's making noises, although it's on silent. Odd. Okay, Galatians 2, verses 1 through 10. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel, which I preached among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation, for for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who has sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality, while those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcision, or to the circumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. Okay. Sorry, I lost my place. On the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually works for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that has been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. All right, so in verse 1, Paul is just continuing the story. And to kind of recap the story a little bit, Galatians 1, verse 1, um, Paul had said that his apostleship was not given by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. Remember that back in verse 1? He begins by saying that Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. So you get an idea of the tone. 
And then in verse 12 of chapter 1, Paul said that he preached a gospel that was not according to man, nor was it from man, nor was he taught it by man, but he received it through revelation. And so again, you get this idea that part of what they're accusing Paul of is not having the real gospel, but maybe hearing it from somebody else and just repeating it. And so he's defending that. And then in chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, he explains how when he first, when Christ first revealed himself to him on the road to Damascus, he didn't immediately consult with other disciples or go to the apostles to hear what the gospel was. Instead, he went to Arabia and was there for three years. Now, some think, like I taught last week, that um, the revelation on the road to Damascus was the revelation Paul's talking about here that gave him the entire gospel message. And if you think about Paul and how much he knew the Bible, once he realized that Christ was the Messiah, maybe everything else fell into place and he understood the gospel. Others think that Jesus spent the next three years while Paul was in Arabia with additional revelations, teaching Paul along the way what the real gospel was. That could also be the case. I think John MacArthur thinks that way. And he has this interesting point to make. He said, God gave Paul three years because the original 12 had three years with Jesus. So that's kind of a neat idea. Maybe that's what happened. We don't know for sure. And then the current text, Paul says, then 14 years later, after he's been doing missionary journeys and planting churches and preaching the gospel, then he goes to Jerusalem along with Barnabas and Titus. And so that's where we are in the current text. A quick point about Barnabas and Titus. Barnabas is only mentioned briefly here, but he's a very important figure, so we shouldn't forget him. In Acts 9, when Paul initially was converted and he uh, went to Jerusalem, the other disciples wouldn't accept him, and they were afraid of him. But then, remember, Barnabas is the one who kind of brought him to the apostles and sort of vouched for him. And after that point, he was able to associate with them and preach the gospel in Jerusalem, and he was serving there until his life became threatened and they asked him to leave. But it was Barnabas who helped him out there. Then later on, when that um, kind of movement exploded in Antioch, a huge church out of nowhere happened in the Gentile land. They sent Barnabas, and Barnabas went and got Paul to help him. And that's why Paul and Barnabas were then in Antioch. And it's there that, in, in Acts 15, where these Jewish Christians come down to Antioch and say, you must all be circumcised and basically become Jews in order to be saved. And that's when they traveled to Jerusalem with Titus, which is what Paul's talking about here. That's the trip Paul's talking about. 14 years after his conversion, while in Antioch, when these dissenters came into the church. And so then they travel to Jerusalem. Also, Titus comes along with it. And Titus isn't mentioned at all in Acts, but Paul mentions him a lot in his epistles. Um, He's mentioned only indirectly in Acts when it says in Acts 15 that Paul and Barnabas with other disciples went to Jerusalem. But here we find out that Titus was one of those guys that went with them. But Titus, um, he was a Gentile convert, which we see in verse 3 here, being a Gentile, being a Greek, not a Jew. Um, He was a trusted companion of Paul. Paul calls him Titus, my brother, in 2 Corinthians. And you might remember that when Paul was talking in 2 Corinthians about the severe letter that he had sent to the Corinthians. We don't have that letter anymore, but it was Titus who delivered that letter. So he used Titus a lot to speak on his behalf, to visit churches, to report back, to send letters. 
So he was a trusted companion of Paul. So these two people went with Paul to Jerusalem to what is known as the Council at Jerusalem, where the apostles finally made an official final decision on whether or not Gentiles essentially needed to convert to Judaism or not to be Christian. And so again, the point Paul is making here in all of this, though, is basically that he didn't go up to Jerusalem in order to hear what the real gospel was. Like he and Barnabas weren't confused in Antioch, and they didn't go to the apostles to say, what do we do? These people are saying that um, you've got to be circumcised to be saved. What do we do? And they didn't go to ask the apostles. They went up to defend the gospel they knew was true. So Paul is saying, in case you accuse me there of needing to be clarified on the gospel that Christ gave me through revelation, that's not what's happening. I went up to defend the gospel I already knew was true. And we're going to see that in these verses. So in verse 2, Paul says again, it was because of revelation that I went up. And I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were a reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. So because of revelation, again Paul's saying here, he didn't go up because he was confused. He went up because God told him to. It was a revelation to do so. By revelation, Jesus said to him, go up. He's needed. And if you believe the Bible, when it says that Paul was called to be the, Gent, uh, the, the apostle to the Gentiles, this council was really affecting Paul. Like Paul needed to be part of that decision because the other um, apostles, Peter included, had limited ministry among the Gentiles. You know, Peter had the Cornelius, you know, the vision, and he went to, uh, and we'll get to that, to that in a moment, but um, so, you know, Peter had preached to Cornelius, he saw the Gentiles get saved, so he was on board, he believed in that, but Paul was called specifically to the Gentiles, and so he actually traveled around to all the Gentile places, planting churches, and so this decision about whether or not Christians had to become like Jews to be saved, um, Paul had to be there. So he goes up by, by revelation. God says, you're needed there, go. And so Paul comes and Paul uh, shares what the gospel he's been preaching. And Peter also testifies in his council. If, you're, if you want to, you know, Acts 10 is kind of where this happens. In Acts 10.34, that's where um, Peter is going to, well, let's just go there real quick, in Acts 10. He gets that vision in, in, a, in my Bible. It's called the Cornelius Vision, um, but it's the man named Cornelius. And he goes to Caesarea, and he gets this vision that um, there are clean animals and unclean animals, and according to the Jewish law, there were only certain kinds of animals you could eat. But God says to Peter, eat these unclean animals. And Peter says, no, I'm not going to do that. And God says, I've called them clean but he's, of course, talking about something else. When this vision is over, he gets told that he was invited to Cornelius, a centurion, in verse 22 of Acts 10. Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well-spoken by the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house. So then Peter goes to Caesarea, and it says in verse 34... I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. So Peter has that experience. 
And that's why then if you go to Acts 15, where the Council of Jerusalem happens, and Paul goes up and everything else, it says that Peter stands up in verse 7. In Acts 15, verse 7, Peter stands up and says, You know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He also did to us. And He made no distinction between us. So that's Peter's defense. And then James as well stands up in verse 13 and basically says, and just to summarize, it's a pretty long chapter, James says, we all agree now, there is no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. So Paul is there, Peter's there, James is there. And Paul wants to make it clear here that this wasn't a clarifying moment for him. He didn't go up to this council undecided and kind of put his vote in and then um, the gospel was clarified to him because he had some other gospel. He went up defending the gospel he had preached. I submitted to them, back in Galatians 2, verse 2, I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. Then it says he submitted it to those who were of reputation. And who he's talking about we see in verse 9. He's talking about Peter, James, and John. You see in verse 9, it says, um, James, Cephas, or Peter, and John who were reputed to be pillars. So they were called pillars. And if you think back to the Gospels and the Jesus story, you know, Jesus had 12 disciples. But there were three that he would often pull aside separately for kind of more specific instruction. And those were Peter, James, and John. And so these then also in the early church kind of became pillars, especially in Jerusalem. They were respected even among the apostles as sort of like the three, the pillars. And so Paul went to them in private, why did he do that? He said, for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. Now, at first, when you hear that, it might sound like Paul isn't that confident after all in his gospel. Does that mean that he was afraid that he was preaching the wrong gospel? I don't think what Paul means here is that he was afraid his own gospel was wrong. Because Paul uses this term in vain a lot. He says, for example, in Galatians 4 verse 11, I fear that perhaps I labored over you in vain. Or in Philippians 2.6, Hold fast the word of life so that I will not have run in vain. And he says in, um, Oh, I sent to find out how you were doing, afraid that the temper might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. I lost that reference. But that's somewhere else in the Bible. Sorry about that. So the idea here, though, when Paul talks about running in vain, it's really about the ultimate fruit of his work, the ultimate outcome. He's not saying here, I was afraid that I had preached the wrong gospel. I think what he's saying is, think of the devastation that would have happened if the apostles had been led astray by this false gospel. Paul's confident. He's had visions of Christ. He's an apostle. He's seen God work through him. He's seen the miracles. So he knows he's got the right gospel. So he goes privately to these pillars because what if they had been led astray? And his fear might be that he's just one guy. He's just one apostle. If the rest of the apostles stood against him and had a false gospel, that could make basically undermine everything. It could undermine all the work he had done. 
So if Paul was preaching the right gospel, but then he goes to the apostles and they had been led astray by this false gospel of works, his fears that he might have run in vain, meaning that the influence of the other apostles could have completely discredited him and undermined all that he had done. So he wasn't uh, like worried that his own gospel was wrong. He was afraid that theirs was. He was afraid that they had been led astray. And so we'll see the outcome in verse 10. But Paul mentions one aspect of the outcome in the next verse. Verse 3, Paul says, Not even Titus, who was with me, though he was Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So this is kind of like the evidence of the, the outcome of that conference was that Paul brought along Titus. And this was probably why he brought him along, because to, to kind of set him as an example to say, okay, all of you who believe that you've got to be a Jew to be saved, answer me this. Here's Titus. Titus is a Gentile, but he converted years ago. He's worked with me for years. He's been with me on missionary journeys. I have sent him on my behalf, delivering letters to churches. He's reported back to me. He's clearly doing the work of an evangelist, a work of the gospel. You're saying he's not saved unless he gets circumcised? So Paul brought Titus along, and they did not require him to be circumcised or to at all um, follow those Jewish laws. That's an important argument to make because apparently somehow these churches in Galatia didn't get the memo on this. They were still believing that you had to be a Jewish to be saved. So then in Galatians 2, verse 4 and 5, it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. <clears throat> but we did not yield in subjection to them, for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. So again, the reason they went up to Jerusalem was not in order to be taught the true gospel. They went up because they had the true gospel and they wanted to defend it, and it was because of the false brethren, these false teachers. And Paul says, we were never confused about the gospel. We didn't ever yield to their false teachings, even for an hour. So he's just making it very clear. We were never led astray by this. We never agreed with this. We were never a part of this. We went up to defend the true gospel. Then verse 6, from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, just as Peter had been to the, uncir or to the circumcised. So I've made this point very clear. Paul was not intimidated by the other uh, apostles. He didn't go up to be taught by them. I hope that makes sense now. So I don't keep repeating it. But when he says they contributed nothing to him, that's what he's talking about. He's not saying that he doesn't respect them or that he doesn't value them. He's just saying in terms of his gospel, they didn't contribute at that moment. He didn't go up to learn anything. He went up to defend what he already knew. So that those false teachers in Galatia couldn't say Paul wasn't really an apostle. He had to go up to Jerusalem to be taught by the apostles. That's not what happened. Also, when Paul says here that they contributed nothing to him, he's not trying to be rebellious. We should certainly respect one another. Wouldn't you all agree that we need to respect one another? We shouldn't ever disrespect anyone, any believer, no matter what office they hold, no matter what ministry they're involved in, no matter how God has called them, we shouldn't be disrespecting or discrediting 
other believers. I don't just mean pastors, I mean everyone. Every believer who is sacrificing of themselves and giving of themselves to somebody else, we shouldn't disrespect or, regard, or disregard them. And so Paul, I don't think here is saying um, they have no value or I don't, you know, I don't at all esteem them in any way. I just think he's saying in terms of his gospel, they didn't contribute anything to him. He already had the right gospel. 